Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You're listening to SFP Welcome to another exciting episode of SFP Now. We've got a great guest lined up um, who's going to be on in a couple of minutes. We have Karen and Cave, um, who you'll be seeing really soon in the uh, new series of Van Helsing, which is starting up, I think it's going to be Friday, I think it's October 5th. Yep, October 5th, so that's actually a Thursday. Um, and um, I'm not sure if uh, Karen's going to be in the first episode, but, you know, we spoke to her about Van Helsing and some of her other roles, and uh, here's, here's the interview with Karen and Cave, everybody. I had a dream once. Our world had ended. Vampires had taken over. And I was the only one that could stop them. It was no dream. I'm nothing special. Somebody thought you were. You want me? Here I am. Van Helsing, a new original series, coming this fall on Sci-Fi. Hello, and I'd like to welcome to the show the fantastic uh, Karen Cave, um, who's an actor based, actor based out of Vancouver, and um, she's done a lot of great, exciting stuff, and she's going to be doing a lot of great, exciting science fiction and fantasy stuff in the future. Hi, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Ian. Thank you. It's good to be here. We just chatted a little bit before we were sort of on air and recorded about, um, you know, making art and the the notion of, um, you know, having your feet in a bunch of different pools and uh, being a jack of all trades, master of none. And I I shared with you a little story about um, District, the writer of District 9 and Neil Blomkamp's wife. Who, when she was on set one day, um, a senior crew member asked her, you know, what her role was or what she was aspiring to. And she just graduated from film school with, you know, huge aspirations. And she was doing everything in film, everything she could get her hands on. She was learning every aspect of production. And she was a writer. And this crew member, very jaded, you know, said, well, aren't you a master, uh, a jack of all trades, master of none? And she went on to be, you know, nominated uh, for an Oscar for the screenplay, I believe, for District 9, or it might have been Chappie. Ooh. But, you know, I, I was just saying that art begets art, creativity begets creativity. Just make shit. <laughs> just yeah. make stuff. Make stuff you know, happen. Just, Make stuff happen. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one one of the things that I've I've learned over the years doing this now because I've been doing interviews and and stuff for my website and podcast uh, since two thousand and one, and I remember initially being absolutely terrified when I <laughs> spoke to someone new because it's sort yeah. of like that. Um, but one of the things I've learned is it's always generally good to try and say yes. Yes. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. 
because you never know where 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 the you know various opportunities are going to take you. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's funny, we used to do, you know, I, I'm, I come from theater like you, and we used to do an exercise in first year theater school where um, you, you have your, your gang of fellow students in your classroom. Usually it's only like eight to 12 people in, a, in an acting class um, in a conservatory environment. And there's a game just called Yes, Let's. So somebody makes an offer to do something silly or otherwise or physical or otherwise and and the whole class is yes let's and then they do it with 100% conviction just getting you over that sense of the auditor who's watching yourself and who's self-conscious and that part of you that says this isn't reasonable and rational why would I do this Mm -hmm. you know um anyway it's kind of a fun exercise to do with kids young young aspiring actors yeah. Um, one one of the uh, one of the first questions I always like to ask uh, people when I when I have uh-huh. them on um, is, you know, how, how did you actually get into acting? Was it something that you always aspired to do? Apparently, I said I was going to be an actor when I was five years old, although I don't recall it. My mom and dad tell me that's what I would say. And I did find one little journal, funny little journal thing when I was about eight or nine where I wrote the same thing. But it's funny. It didn't it didn't seem forefront in my mind because I was a dancer and I was uh, just just mad for dance. And um, and luckily enough, I also studied piano. And so I, I really I aspire to to be. A professional dancer and I, I came quite close and I was taking professional like ball, I was taking company classes with a professional company here in Vancouver and I went off to the dance center which is a an art center of some repute and, and and yet I always wanted ballet and I wasn't really physically built for ballet I'm I'm you know I'm not really long and lean and um and I was always sort of forcing this square peg into a round hole and then I took a gap year after university uh, high school and uh, it was my mom that suggested, because I was going to go to university and study psychology and get an arts degree and have a career in, I don't know, perhaps helping people, serving people that way. And my mom said, no, I think you're an artist. Uh, you're, you know, you're a creative soul. I think you should, I think you should study theater. And so I applied to uh, a uni and got in and I went to, for two years in a general theater program. And then I thought, no, no, this is really is my home. This is what I want to do. So then I went to a conservatory and I was classically trained. Um, and then I studied briefly at the Royal National Theater um, in London under uh, Toby Jones and Selena Cadell. And uh, it was, you know, really transformative. And then I got into a classical theater company doing, you know, big theater for six months of the year. Cool. It's really, so, it's really good that you, you had a, had, had, had a par- parents that, that were supportive. Oh, so lucky um, because uh you know with me when i when i wanted to uh, study theater it was kind of like get real <laughs> well i know i know and this, but the funny thing is the funny thing about theater is is it, it 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 makes you so highly attuned to to others and and a, you know i think an empathetic um articulate communicator and God, that's going to take you many places. And, um, you know, like I have a friend who's a BAFTA award winning locations manager and he, you know, he handled locations for, 
Peaky Blinders and, um, you know, he had a general theater degree, which his parents said would amount to nothing. And he's been very successful in his field. So I don't know. It gets you to think laterally. It gets you to collaborate. It it gives you a lot. And let's face it, name me an undergraduate degree that really launches you unless you're doing pre-med or an engineering degree. Name me an undergraduate degree nowadays that doesn't require a master's to get into your field in some kind of higher status position or uh, an income earning position, you know? So I don't know. I'm all for theater degrees just as a start to life. And, and plus when, you know, if you're doing a general theater degree, you have to take your humanities, you have to take your history or your sociology or, or these other credits. And I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really for liberal arts education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it should be mandatory throughout all schools that theatre and music should be on there. You know, it's uh, oh, yeah. it's just um, you know because I just think so many so many kids miss out and you know they they're kind of like uh, you know square pegged into thinking that they're they're going to be working at some supermarket or yeah. driving or whatever. Um, and you know, I really think that you know. If, if a kid wants to have a go at doing something and they show a talent for it and an interest in it, it should be encouraged. Yeah. Well, this is huge. And I think it's, you know, I know, I know good close people to, in my life who, for whom it saved their education because they would have dropped out or they would never have continued with post-secondary until they found their home in the theater or in choir or band, you know, and found, found that place where they felt safe and, and authentic. And, um, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, uh, open about the fact that I, um, I have ADD and I did not know it growing up because I was an excellent student. And this is common for girls. They don't present with the same hyperactivity as boys. So girls can go under the radar. Mm-hmm. And it, because I achieved uh, well uh, academically, it, it went unnoticed, but I had my own sort of private battles and stress and anxiety resulting from the ADD, um, particularly high, high anxiety around exams. And um, the thing with me is I can hyper-focus, so I can focus like mad on one thing, deeper and longer than most people, which is a gift, but it's also a curse because I'm a mother and I'm a lousy multitasker. (laughs) And motherhood is all about organization and, and multitasking. And so you know, it was really hard when I became a mom because I, um, where, where I think I'm good with the social emotional aspect of motherhood, the managerial part of motherhood was challenging, but God, if I hadn't been sort of, if I didn't shine in the arts, which I, I did as a kid, um, I wouldn't have had the the confidence. I just, you Mm -hmm. know, I would have felt probably pretty, pretty lost. Well, I, I, you know, that this, uh, you, you're talking about ADHD, it's kind of like, um, I may as well confess this to you right now because I'm quite open about it. Um, I'm actually, I actually have high functioning autism. Oh, so amazing. I'm, I'm kind of like, um, it's, it's basically, they used to call it Asperger's syndrome. Yes. Um, yes, I know it well. Yes. Um, so it's, it's kind of like that. And, um, I have, I also have the ability to hyperfocus. Uh, yes. which is why every time I put a pizza in the oven and start playing my guitar, about an hour yes. later, it's, it's kind of like a meteorite hit. Got it. Done it many times. <laughs> to- totally, totally got it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I can I can relate to you um, on that, I, I guess. Um, yeah. I'm saying. 
Um, well, when... and this is the thing. So many creative people are, as they say, neurodiverse, think differently, learn in a different way, um, um, have, you know, sometimes extre they're extremely sensitive and, um, you know, and it, so it always makes it interesting on set because in my, in my mother life, I go, I'm around civilians, let's call them <laughs> people in my day to day life that, that are not particularly expressive, that kind of walk around the world in sort of a, a flatter space. And then, you know, you get on set it again, set again, and cast and crew are all, you know, kind of warm and expressive and a little more animated. And so it's, it's you know, it becomes its own bubble too. Like if you're on set all the time, it's not reality. That's not the real world. It's not how people interact out there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It'd be so much better if it was. So. <laughs> yeah. In some ways, perhaps mm -hmm. true. Um, and kind of funny as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, what one of the few movies of note that helped launch you was a uh, was Saw. Um, I don't know what which one it was. It was one of the Saw was movies. Saw six. Saw yeah, six, Saw six. Yes. Um, you played Debbie. Um, I'm just wondering what is what is the experience like of working on on that kind of a kind of a horror horror movie and and what expectation did did you have when you went into the film? Um, I, I didn't know what to expect. I find, I find those films difficult to watch because I am so sensitive. So I have, I have to take them in pretty small doses and, and, you know, remind myself obviously of the mechanics behind the filmmaking when I'm watching it. And, um, they're so well done in terms of the effects and all the effects, like they're shot in Toronto and all the effects are a Toronto team, all the prosthetics, all the gadgets, the inventions, the traps, all built by a Toronto team. And uh, so I, I didn't know, I didn't really know what to expect. I was intimidated. I was nervous. Um, sort of a high stress environment because mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of money goes into those films and they expect to gross a lot of money. So it was my first experience with a studio film. I think it was Lionsgate films, which I went on to do some films for after that. And it's, it's grueling. Like you have to really take care of your body because you're putting your body through the ringer. And I was really highly trained physically, as I've said, and vocally, but no matter how well trained you are vocally, it's very hard to scream in sheer mm -hmm. terror and, um, not hurt your voice. Um, cause you're repeating take after take. And when I was doing the steam trap, which was, um, you know, sharp and dangerous. So they would lay down mats for me when I was on my hands and knees. Um, but, but, and, and if you you know, you didn't see the trap floor in the shot, they padded it up for me. But at one point I was sort of so committed and into it. And I, I kind of closed my eyes during a move and I thrashed the side of my head against the steam trap wall. And I, and I gave myself a concussion, which, you know, nobody wants a concussion. Um, but they were amazing. They, the, 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 the thing I never had done before when I was, had been concussed, which I had been twice before as a kid was immediately they put ice packs on your sort of in your groin area and under your arms because your body temperature goes, uh, berserk when mm -hmm. you have a head, head injury, which I didn't realize. And they sat me out, but you know, I probably just should have been in there. If it was a sports game, I would have just timed out and, you know, not come back and given myself some, brain rest for a couple of weeks, but you don't do that in film. You just get back up and you shoot, you shoot the scene. 
So um, it was it was hard. It was challenging for sure. Mm-hmm. I you know I got I think I got a bit of a fan base out of that film though, as you say. So <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so it, it, it was stressful, grueling, but maybe worth it. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, I mean, I, I've got to confess, um, I'm exactly like you. I can't watch that sort of movie. Um, no, it's too know, intense, hey? I, I, I draw the movie at Freddy... I, I draw the nine at Freddy Krueger, because those are kind of yeah. funny, you know? Yeah. Because um, that's kind of like pantomime, is, is Freddy Krueger. Although the first one was actually scary. <laughs> Yeah, the first one, the original, it was scary. It was scary. I was quite young when I saw it, I remember. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it was scary. This year seems to have been a really big one for you in regards to uh, a lot of film and television roles coming your way. Um, now, aside from the obvious film, which we'll get to a little bit later, I noticed that you had a role in a movie called A Dog's Purpose, which I've very nearly rented a few times on, on Amazon. Uh, what can you tell me about the film? Um... Well, I, the, the one thing I assert, and it's kind of funny, is that no animals, I believe, were harmed in the making of that film. Animals were treated with more care and respect, perhaps, possibly, than humans, although we were treated wonderfully. It was such a good experience. I was on set with my old pal, Luke Kirby, with whom I did a TV series in Toronto called Crash and Burn. And I love Luke and we have a ton of pals in common and we shared an agent for many years. And, and I'm just a fan of Juliet Rylance. I think she's wonderful. I think her father, of course, Mark Rylance has been an idol of mine for a long time. I was fortunate enough to see him perform live at the globe in London. And so, um, it was, it was sheer pleasure. And I got to do a bit of a comedic physical turn. Like, um, it's, it's a big sort of scene that goes, turns into chaos and I get to kind of show my physical skills. So I, I loved it. And I think it's a lovely film. Um, I'm really proud to be in it. I'm going to have to rent it then, aren't I? Um, I've been, it's been on Amazon for a few weeks now here in the UK. Um, Ah, I've passed it by a few times and I've been thinking, you know, um, is this a good film if I if I'm in a mood for something that's you know going to give me a, a gentle feel good sort of vibe? You know? it, it does, but it's also a, it's also a tear jerker. I'll be honest, because um, like I lost my dog in in April, um, and when I saw the film, my dog was still seemingly totally healthy. So after losing uh, my pup, I think it would be harder for me to watch now because mm-hmm. it's a tearjerker um but it's funny and it's well made and um you know it's it's Lasse Hallstrom as the director so it's worth just seeing what he does as a director and his sense of humanity and humor cool. well I'm sorry sorry to hear about your dog um, I, I actually lost my cat in December uh, oh I'm sorry he was 20 he was 21 oh, um, oh so wow old. um but you know, in January, I had, I adopted a rescue cat because it's kind of important that I have an animal around um, yes. to help with anxiety and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Oh, they're so they're so good for the soul. They're so good for the soul. Yeah. I, I, you know, Pepper. She's a she's a little devil. Uh, she gets up to all sorts. <laughs> um, oh, I bet. And my, my my cat that died, Sasha. You know, he, he and I went through so much together. You know, it was oh sure, it was that's a long time. That's a long time to have a have a little animal pal around. Mm. That's a very long relationship. Yeah, and um, you know, I was I was really traumatized <laughs> as well. Oh yeah, 
No, it's very difficult. It's very difficult putting them down. And Um, especially if you, you know, you're there with them when they pass, it's, um, although I think it's, it's, it's actually kind of helpful in the long run that you're there with them when they pass. It's, uh, in the moment way, way more harder than I imagined um, or could have foreseen. Unfortunately, I didn't really have, he didn't really give me that option. He, he was an outdoor oh. cat, so he was an outdoor cat. So he, he liked coming and going in in the house, and he just went out one day and didn't come back. Oh. Um, so I looked for him for about a week, and it was um, after Christmas. We we found him in a garden about 150 yards away from where I was living. Um, oh yeah, just moved house, and um, and you know. I, I got to bring him, took him to the vet and, you know, had him cremated and all that. But, you know, it's yeah. like, it just, uh, he, he, see, Tomcats have a tendency to wander off when they know that, know it's their yeah. time. And he did that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, that's No, I think my dog knew she was ill because she ran away very uncharacteristically a couple of months before she died. She, she had cancer. Um, so I think she, I think she knew she was, uh, unwell and, and went, went off to find her place. Um, and she was rescued and returned to me, but, um, I should have known at the time, you know, that that's a major sign that there's, there's something really wrong. I just thought that she was, uh, out of sorts cause my husband was away traveling and she, he's sort of the alpha and the one she adored. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, not to get too 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 sad for people. <laughs> okay, I know. Sorry. Um, um, I think it's probably best that I uh, sort of put off watching the film until uh, maybe yeah. next week. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. I get it completely. I support um, that. Um, moving on to the obvious uh, obvious film role you've had this year, using the recent Power Rangers movie. Uh, what yes. was that like to be involved with? I mean, that's actually a pretty big film. It was a big film. So it was my first experience with something that huge with that much on the line for the director, for Dean Israelite and um, his team. Um, I have to say what, when you walk onto a set like that, and especially if you don't have a huge name, you have to be really calm and really grounded and, and um, as relaxed as possible because stuff gets thrown at you at the last minute. And um, there was just a high level of tension on set, to be honest. Um, I love the cast. I, I got to get to know a little bit David Denman, who played my husband, and Dacre Montgomery. This kid's going to go far. He's generous. He's funny. Um, and, you know, these kids that played the Power Rangers were complete, really – um, in North America, unknown, mm-hmm. and then they're launched into this huge platform, right? So it was interesting meeting them before all the the Comic Con and the media circus and all that stuff, and how and to see how they handled it. I think for the most part handled it super well. Um, but I don't know what's happening with the franchise. I don't know. Um, I actually don't even know how well it did at the box office in the in its theatrical run. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll probably make another one. <laughs> they, they, they probably will. Um, if if it's not a sequel to this one, they'll probably reinvent it somehow because the yes, Power, Power Rangers. It's been been around since the nineties. It's been so, oh my god! It's been reinvented so many times. I um, know my son loves it. <laughs> uh, I I I wasn't a fan. I was more a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles guy. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it brings me back. Yes. <laughs> um, I noticed you did an, ep- 
uh, a few episodes of Dirk Gently last year. Um, mm-hmm. Are you likely to return to that um, in, in the guest spot, or was it just sort of like a one-off? I, I don't think I will, although I loved it. I loved it so much. I would be on that show forever. I just had such a ball, um, such a great... I mean, Max Landis is brilliant. Um, I don't think so, because I, I get killed off in season one, and it, in they play with time and they play with alternate parallel universes and all of that. But I don't think based on it's a bit there, you know, it's, it's, I don't think I will. I just think it's unlikely. Um, season two was about a whole different take on, on reality shifts. And, um, uh, I don't think so. I'll come back, which is a shame because I loved, I loved working on that show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and everyone loves a bit of Douglas Adams as well. Oh my God! Just so wacky, so wacky, and so intelligent. Mm-hmm. Um, a series you have scored a recurring role in is Sci-Fi's Van Helsing, which centres mm-hmm. on a distant relative um, of the famous vampire hunter Abraham Van Helsing. Uh, what can you tell us about your role in the series, and and will you be introduced pretty early on in the first episode, maybe? Um, I think I'm introduced in the second or third episode. So that's pretty early on first episode, you know, they're establishing sort of picking up from the whole story storyline of season one and reminding the audience of what was happening in terms of plot. And, uh, I played Jolene, who's a human, um, um, who tries to, you know, uh, protect and save a bastion of humans in a triage center. I'm sort of you know, my backstory is that I failed out of medical school. Um, I have some medical training, not huge, but I'm forced into this kind of leadership role as a, as a sort of pseudo doctor caring for these humans that come back from the front lines. Um, and, uh, I get to play a lot off of my friend, Rakia Bernard, who's wonderful. She plays doc. Mm-hmm. And so our storyline together develops over season two, and um, maybe I'll be back in season three. It's so funny. P- act- people think that actors know like five years ahead of time what they're doing, <laughs> but you don't really. Sometimes, sometimes you, you don't know until quite the last minute that you'll be back on something. So mm-hmm. we'll see. I, t- I, I have, I have you know, a lot of perspective now that I'm a mom on what's important and what I allow myself to get freaked out about. So if I'm back, that would be amazing. And I just don't know yet. Um, it, it looks like um, I mean I've never actually seen the series. Um, I'm sorry to say, because um, there's so much going on all the time. I know, kind of I know. Keep up with everything. Um, but it looks like a fun series. Um, did did it take quite a lot out of you in terms of physical demands? No, it didn't. Um, it, no, it didn't. It didn't really. Um, um, it's not a hugely physical role. It's more of a psycho-emotional role. And I worked with a director named Michael Nankin, who is a hugely prolific uh, television director. Um, and I just, you know, my role is more about subtle subtlety and interaction and love. And um, so I wheeled a gun, and I and I and I felt a little badass with that. But I didn't. I didn't have a hugely physical role. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how did you find working with that cast? Were they quite welcoming for you? Oh, super duper. Yeah. Yeah. They were hugely welcoming. And, um, uh, uh, one of the head writers, uh, um, Jonathan Walker is, you know, he's an actor who's also a writer and producer and he knew my work from, you know, for many years, he sort of watched me and known what I've been doing. So it was, it felt really good to get a chance to be on set with him. And, uh, yeah, it was just a warm, respectful, efficient set. 
Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to have to check this series out now. It's, um, it's kind of. No, it's things. excellent. Yeah, it's really um, well done. I watched the first episode last year, but got a feeling it's one of these shows that you know because I didn't quite fancy after the first episode. Yes. But maybe, I've... maybe I need to come back to it and try it again. Well, often, like often, you have to give series a chance because often when they're creating the pilot, they won't have the kind of budget that they need when they sort of launch into like they'll shoot a pilot or the the first episode and then they'll get their funding or they'll get everything sort of with backing behind it and momentum so often um visually and um in terms of of sort of a sense of cohesion in the storyline um you have to give a series a little bit of a chance and i think van helsing's very much an example of that Mm -hmm. cool well, I've actually noticed, um, having read through your credits, because um, I, you know, as you can tell, I did quite a lot of research. <laughs> yes, yeah, you um, did. Thank you. Um, That's always really respectful. Um, I, having read through your, your list of credits, you've done a fantastic mix of stuff from family drama to science fiction and horror and beyond. Um, as a creative and, and an actor, what do, you, what do you look for in a role? What is it that actually draws you in? I mean, I know that you don't always have a choice of what role you take, but, you know. I love the challenge of playing uh, characters who are um, reserved and withdrawn because it's so sort of con- is such stark contrast to who I am in my in my own nature. So I like exploring that a lot, and I I love I love the chance to be physical because I was a dancer for so many years. So I just feel like it get I get to ha- have fun and sort of use my training and my background and. Um, you know, I'm 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 really drawn to comedy, but I'm I'm a strong dramatic actress, so I often get dramatic roles. But like I say, with um, a dog's purpose or many of the stage plays I've done, I I, I have done a, a ton of comedy that I love. I love so a comedic TV show would be a dream for me. Mm-hmm. With lots of action. <laughs> Yeah, sure, sure. Or even just physical comedy, right? AKA like, you know, more um, like slappy stick or, you know, just embodying a character in a physical way, the way Melissa McCarthy can do. Um, Yeah, that, that, that I would love. That would be a joy. Mm -hmm. If you, um, if you had an opportunity to play any great women from history, uh, who, who would who would it be, and what 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 is it that really captures your imagination about that person? Um, I, I've, I I would have loved to play Joan of Arc. I'm too old now, but I would have loved to play her. And I and I love Shaw's play Saint Joan. Um, what interests me about a role like that is her uh, conviction and defiance and strength. Uh, what else? Um, hmm, that's a great question. There's, uh, you know, p- playing any kind of women in a position of power, particularly in a time when it, when it wasn't accepted, interests me. Um, yeah, I, I, it's funny. Joan of Arc is the first one who came came to mind. I don't know if I'd get a shot at it now, but um, just her her sort of defiance in the face of all the male voices around her trying to oppress her really and um her leadership 
Well, yeah. You could do voice if they did an animated movie. Yes, I could. Yeah, I could. Yeah. I'm interested in doing more voice work, actually. Yeah. So I'm, I'm exploring that right now, too. Yeah, that's something that I, you know, if um, if ever I went back into the acting, um, something I'd love to do is just voice work. Oh, yeah. Just crazy, oh, yeah. wacky cartoon voice work. Oh, <laughs> so sure. Could... Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's, I, I have so much fun just talking to myself that way anyway. So. <laughs> Um, <laughs> sorry. Uh, aside from uh, Van Helsing, have there any other projects uh, that you'd like to talk about and um, you know let, let people know about? Um, oh yeah, I, I just I'm filming a Hallmark movie right now, part of the Fixer Upper mystery series with Jewel as our lead, and um, I, I have a really fun turn in this film and also if people can catch Kira Sedgwick's directing debut the movie Story of a Girl that was just released on um, Lifetime in the US and I don't know what it would be released on in the UK but um, she's she's a wonderful director and it's a really important story and uh, I, I, I love that little film and I'm in that one so that one's just been released just now and then I guess season three of Van Helsing I'll probably be back so that's that's exciting too. Cool. Well, um, I'd like to thank you very much for your time. It's been really great speaking to you. I've really enjoyed oh, myself. Oh, and you too. It's, it's so nice when somebody does their homework before they interview. <laughs> you, you're going to be impressed with the amount of time I spent doing my homework. Oh, I am. I can tell already. I can yeah. tell in the interview. That. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it, was, it was very rushed. Um, you know, um, I, I basically I'd, I'd skimmed through your IMDb a few times yeah. and thought about it, then went back to it today and and I spent about 10-15 minutes writing questions. Oh, fantastic. Well, you've, you're, you're good at it. So there you go. Okay. Well, um, thanks a lot for your, your time. When uh, When's um, Van Helsing start? It starts on the 5th of October, right? Um, that Yeah, that is the screening date. Thank you. It is 5th of October, so that's soon. It's coming up. It's exciting. Okay, so we can look forward to seeing you in Van Helsing. I'd like to wish you all the best of luck with it and uh, your your future projects. Um, and I'm going to watch a dog's story, it's, um, a dog's purpose at some point. I yeah, think. yeah, that would be wonderful. I've got to watch that film. Let me know. Shoot me a little email when you when you've watched it. It's science fiction that will blow your mind. <laughs> This is SFP now. And you know that that's our interview with Carolyn Cave. I'd like to thank Carolyn for taking time out of her busy schedule. Um, apparently, she was actually uh, um, flying somewhere while, while we had this conversation. So she was actually uh, in transit at the time, which is rather exciting. Um, now it's time for the uh, discussion segment. We've got a hell of a lot to discuss. Um, right, Race is here, as you heard earlier. And we're going to be talking about uh, Star Trek Discovery, maybe the Orville. I'm going to sort of like snag down the CBS version of MacGyver because it's always fun. It's like it's like shooting at game ducks. And um, Race is going to sort of like talk about Inhumans. So um, what should we go at first? Let's do the let's do the space opera first. The two tracks ish, whatever. Like. Well, the two the two track ish things. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, it's funny actually because about Star Trek Discovery, I was talking to Roger Noriega. Really. You remember Roger from yes. the, um, from Blog Talk Radio? And he's still doing. Mm-hmm. He still does his shows on Blog Talk. 
he's still active on there, even though the uh, the, the 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 blog talk's kind of gone to shit. <laughs> he still he still he still does his shows on there um, and stuff like that. And I think he's working a new job now as well because we've not spoke to him in 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 um, probably months. And um, I asked him about Discovery, and he says he's gotten to the point where you know. They're gonna remake it, and they're gonna sort of like um, they're, they're gonna change things anyway, sort of thing, um, because it's a new generation that's taken over the hen house generally. Ah. So, you know, he he's been watching, he's been quite liking what he's seen, but at the same time, he's been sort of like noticing things like the the holographic uh, communications, um, the sight sight transport in this episode, for example, in the original series. Um, Kirk said that they couldn't do site-to-site transports because it was too, too dangerous for some reason, and we didn't really see site-to-site transports happen until sort of like next generation. Yeah, plus there, there was an, uh, an article I sent you earlier where they mentioned the fact that in in original canon, it's the Romulans who designed the cooking technology, not the Klingons. Plus... Yeah, yeah that, um, that, that's already been explained, though, uh, by, by the author of the, of the episode. Apparently that Klingon ship was over 200 years old and it was the only ship in the Klingon fleet that had cloaking technology. It just happened to have it. it you know, they didn't, there's no, no sort of like, uh, you know, can, canonical reason for it. It just happened to have the cloaking technology. So okay. whether it was another ship that the Klingons got hold of and made their own or, or what, we don't know. All we know is that that ship was 200 years old and, and that, that particular um Set of Klingons with two over two hundred years old as well. Okay, it was that makes a, that makes a little more sense. The other issue is in um, the episode we just saw, um, Lorca had a Tribble, and my first question was, how come the Tribble wasn't pregnant and giving birth to other Tribbles? He just has a lone Tribble in there, like like it's safe to have a lone Tribble in there for some reason. Yeah, because um, that that was kind of established in in. The original series that they they reproduce like rabbits sort of thing so um i i was sort of like querying that and and i heard it i didn't actually spot it to the second episode but i hear it heard it in the first and i was thinking is that triple mm-hmm. <laughs> i putting putting aside whatever the continuity glitch may be it makes sense because it because because if lorca's as unhinged as we think he may be um, he may be using the triple as Prozac. <laughs> yeah, he, he, he might be eating trip. He might be eating the uh, triples as as they they're produced. It might be some sort of like medical application for them that we don't know about. Because it, Discovery is a science ship. Yes. I'm just yes. wondering. I'm just wondering if we're going to get a scene where Lorca has hairballs and. A... <coughs> Uh, sorry again, I've got an active, overactive imagination there, but it's sort of like it makes sense if he's eating tribbles, he's going to get hairballs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but I like Lorca, he's kind of Captain Nemo ish. Yeah, he's, he, um, he might be the current series answer to Garth of Izar, basically. Mm. He's slightly Wait. military genius, but crackers. Which would explain why um, Paramount, um, well, sorry, CBS um, and their affiliates put a stop to um, Atsana. It might because if if they're if they're if they're using Lorca as their as their as their um, Garth of Izar, then they wouldn't want actual canonical Garth of Izar variations floating around out there. Mm-hmm. So. 
But it does. Uh, it struck me as a bit Captain Nemo-ish. Um, you know, his first scene when he's introduced, it kind of like uh, it kind of put me in mind of James Mason's Captain Nemo. You know, the, yes. the, the, the darkness and the um, and the way he addresses dresses Burnham yes. in that scene. Um, yeah. You know, I swear to God, she, she she you know he acted her off the screen. You know, he which is uh, which is scary because. Martin Green is not a slouch, but yeah, mm, it, it is scary. But you know, it's it's funny because I was I was listening to um, uh, I think it's is it Mark Scott uh, Scott Zekri? Who, who, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I was listening to his uh, podcast last week about the um, about the first episode, and uh, he he's got a real downer on Burnham. He 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 doesn't think the actress is particularly good at all. She's She's solid, but she's probably not as good as she needs to be. A lot, a lot will depend on how things develop going forward. Some of it might be just her trying to feel her way early in the role, too. So we don't yeah. know. Well, one thing he said, which uh, which struck a chord, was that she didn't really have any warmth. You know, there's well, no this warmth. Is, this is a character, character who was raised on Vulcan after her parents were killed. So yeah, but even so, she's human. That's true, and um, and he pointed out that Spock had a bit more warmth to him than than, than she does, and Sark does too, for yeah. that matter. So, yeah. um, whether it's PTSD from seeing a parent so brutally killed in front of her or or, or whatnot, it, that 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 probably explain it sort of thing. But it's sort of like um, I they don't need know. To explain it. You, you yeah. don't need to explain it, but I'm I'm sort of like um, I I just sort of like watched this today and today thinking. You know, more along lines of the other characters, the new characters that are introduced. Um, I'm I'm not a fan of Commander Landry. Yeah, she. If these if this show follows suit, there'll be lay, lay, layers peeled off of all of these characters. So I'm not too worried about her initial uh, her initial introduction. I'm I'm worried about what we get subsequently. Yeah, I mean, I think um, Saru was good in last night's episode. Uh, yes, I love scenes. him, Doug Jones, forever. He's yeah. awesome. His scenes with Burnham were really good yesterday. Um, and um, what what's the name now? The uh, the science officer uh, Stamets, is it or Stamets? Stamets, Stamets, yeah. Stamets. Bless his heart. Or stem cell or whatever. Stamets, yeah. Yeah. Um, he kind of put me in mind of the uh, of the agitated, irreversible scientist. You know, so like uh, I was almost thinking Hans Hans Zarkov sort of thing. If he had a beard, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, yeah, that would work. That would work. Yeah. Generally speaking, I think this third episode is the strongest that we've gotten so far, of relative to what they're trying to give us. Um, um, like Roger, I'm basically more or less um, resigned to the fact that this is not our Trek. But for modern Trek, uh, I think it's more effective than the, than the modern movies. Oh, indeed, it is. I mean, it's better acted for a start. Yeah. Um, but that's nothing. That's no no reflection on the actors in in the modern Trek movies. It's the fact that the 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 characters have a bit more depth. They're better written. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm I'm gonna go with it, and um, you know may, maybe if they decide that this is not in the prime universe, um, but they decide it's another universe, we might see a remake of Toss on the television, which could be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, I'm 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 kind of 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 the opinion that this maybe is a a, a 
a universe that's going to get timey-wimey'd out of existence because there are so many issues with canon cumulatively that I'm wondering if a lot of that's just going to get rewritten because that's the plot. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how much of it is just them deciding to make changes and how much of this is actually just plot. So, I mean, I, I, if you link this show up with the uh, with Enterprise, it makes sense in a way because. In Enterprise, you had the Time War. You had the uh, you had the future guy from the 29th century coming back to assist Archer against the Sumerbarn. You had the you had you know and you you know the staffing officer coming back from the 29th century. You had future guy. So you know you could argue that something probably happened um, during Archer's adventure on Enterprise that sort of like uh, moved things on. Yeah. To to a point where the technology's at it where where it is now, sort of thing. Yeah. So you could argue that Enterprise kind of you know kind of rebooted Star Trek in a sense. Yeah, I mean, you you can you can explain away anything. But my my issue isn't that we you can explain away everything. The my issues that we have to my my issues that we have to bother. My mm. issues that we have that we're in this situation where we have to actually do that. Um, it, it's annoying. It's just really annoying to have to um, put, you know, put band-aids all over everything until until shown reasons not to. It's really, yeah. you know, it's just I mean, it's not what I, it's not what I prefer to do with my time. It's it's not, but uh, you know, to be honest, I I think um, thus far on its own merits, it's actually a pretty good show and it's worthy it of our attention. It is. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if if the pilot had been absolutely crap, we wouldn't be talking about it now. We would have been slating the hang out of it last week and we would have been moving on. But yeah. it's, it's, um, it's done enough to impress us for three weeks in a row. So it's worth talking about and discussing. And uh, I, I don't know, I, I kind of like, like the effort of explaining in a way. I find it kind of like a fun cerebral exercise yeah. in, in a sense. Yeah. Um, but maybe that's a maybe that's a creative writer in me. <laughs> it's, I think it's the creative writer in me because I'm I'm thinking about it in terms of because I've written fanfic, you know, and fanfic is not the same as professional writing. But I've written enough fanfic over the years to know that process counts and the process is evident in what we're seeing, even if it's not quite the process we would like. Mm-hmm. So um, I mean, it's 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 a it's a it's a solid show. That might actually, you know, be a very good show going forward. Right. Well, um, I'm liking Marker so far. Um, I can't wait to see some of the layers peel back on the uh, science guy. Yeah. Because I think he's a gay character, isn't he? Yes. So yeah. you know, is you know who you know obviously it was his boyfriend that died on the other ship. Yes. Yes. Um, so I wonder if he's go- if, if he's going to sort of go to Saru for some pity. <laughs> Biggest issue in terms in terms of the big story arcs is like you mentioned in your review, um, is Burnham going to get to the point where, where she's going to have to do a second mutiny? Yeah, that's what I, that that's kind of like I was thinking that all the way through because Mark is so far gone, and it's obvious he's so far gone, and it's obvious that she knows he's so far gone. Yeah, you know, because that project is not what he says it is. Even it's, if it's not what she thinks it is, it's also not what he says it is. It, it isn't. And there's also the uh, there's also the te- rather telling line from Saru. Um, you know, I, I'm going to do a better job of protecting my captain than you did of yours, sort of thing. Which I thought, ouch! 
and and he's going to pay for that. Mm. He's absolutely going to pay for that, which is going to which is going to suck. But I mean, Jones will play the hell out of his death scene, but it's going to suck. Mm. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's like it, like it's almost f- funny because when he's seeing the ship go, he's the the heckles in his in in the, in his neck went yeah. up. It was as if he knew that she was still on board the ship. Yeah, and yeah. you know he he's definitely frightened of her. Yeah, you know it's um and um you're right um I don't know whether Saru will die, but I think I think someone I don't think we're gonna see this see this crew around for very long. Uh, no. Certainly, if it goes to season two, I'm kind of hoping Cadet Tiggy dies because, quite frankly, she just annoyed the crap out of me. Mm. You know, if I yeah. had, if I had her as a roommate, I would have shot her within the first two seconds. I think mm. Burnham was surprisingly patient. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't I don't think this crew is going to be around in its current shape and form for very long. Um, and also, if Burnham mutinies again. You know what does that mean for her future in staffing? Because she's not really she's not really a commissioned officer anymore. No, and they one of one of the issues that people brought up in in the um, in the interviews was that they know that Spock never mentioned having a foster sister, and they're going to they're going to they're going to address why she's not canonically there. So there's mm-hmm. obviously there's obviously stuff that's going to happen, which which leads me to believe maybe she dies at the end of this arc. Um, I actually, I was actually thinking that uh, right from the onset before the two episodes, before the first two episodes even dared. I thought, well, we spot Spock's never mentioned her, and Sarek never mentioned her. Maybe something really, really terrible happened to her, you know, and she died. Yeah. And that's yeah. what I was thinking. And maybe, maybe her death ties in with the Klingon War. You know, she she started it, sort of thing. Um, yeah. And uh, and you know, so I can and 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 that's that. Um, but I don't know. I'm gonna, I, I give this episode um, a, a solid four out of five for this week. I think. Yeah, yeah. In it, in itself, in itself, it's worth that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Moving on, the Orville. Um, I can't remember. Oh, it was the one with the um, where where they went to the spaceship, and it was. It was yeah, the one yeah. where they where they recycled the Doctor Who yeah. finale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I thought it was okay. I, I wasn't yeah. really... It was sort of like... Uh, it just put me in mind of that first season Star Trek episode where you had um, all, all the half-naked women and blokes running around in white white white, white togas. Sort of yeah. Thing. Do you remember? Yeah, and I just... And my, my biggest problem is I, I probably would have had a less harsh reaction to it if they hadn't been riffing off of a plot line that we saw... In Doctor Who, in Doctor Who's two-part finale, and saw Doctor Who do better. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I um, I just saw like um, although I got to admit, I thought uh, Kangan's uh, bit at the beginning where he's watching old fucking uh, musicals to sort of cheer himself up was funny. That was cool. That was <laughs> I thought that was pretty fun. Uh, <laughs> and I thought, what, what's Kangan got? What, what's Kangan got to worry about? He got his own way in the end with the kid. Yes. In the last episode, he shouldn't be sulking, but may, may, maybe he's sulking because um, because sort of like he's he's not getting his own wicked way with him, with his um, with with his mate, um, you know, busy because yeah. his mate's too busy on the bridge, sort of thing. Mm. Um, the, the character that's impressing me the most though in 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 this series is um, is a short one. I can't remember her name, but the one with super strength. Oh yeah, 
yes, um, Alara Katan. Yeah. Alara, she she seems to be the character that's probably impressing me the most. Yeah. In terms of um of, of what she's had to do so far, um, but and but the two the two guys pying it in the ship are just sort of like um. They're, they're, they're just, just sort of there. They're just sort of there. They're just family guy characters. It's almost as if they're just there to provide um, some very, very cheap laughs, if you will. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you can you can tell they're struggling because they're already bringing in the extra special star cameos. I mean, not that it wasn't cool to see Liam Eason. It was. But, holy crap, this early in the game? Well, yeah. well actually, they, they had three really big stars. Um Obviously, Liam Neeson, the huge Hollywood star, because he's, yeah. he's not really known for the then, then they had then they had Nepper, and then they had um, I blanked on the third guy's name, but I, I James, recognized the face. James yeah. Morrison from Twenty Four. Oh, that's right. That's right. Oh, that's oh my god, that's right. Okay, because mm-hmm. the, the name wasn't coming to me. I'm like, I know you, I know you, I know you, and the name wasn't coming. Yeah, he's um, you know, James Morrison. He's like um. His his career ring, his career only really took off, um, and and he only really got known over here in the UK uh, when he did Space Above and Beyond. Mm. He played the commanding officer in that, and then 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 he got the role in Twenty Four for a couple of seasons, you know, which, which was an likable character, and yeah. now kind of the Orville, but yeah. um, he happened to have a very very short role in. North and South book two. Do you remember the miniseries with Patrick Swayze? I saw the original. I skipped book two. And book two was actually as good as the original. Mm. Um, because book two was about them going up against each other in the Civil War and um, and, and how the friendship, you know, it was, you know, obviously it was kind of soapy with Leslie Undown, which is kind of why I watched it, because I had a huge crush on Leslie Undown at the time. <laughs> um, but um, it's... He had a very brief role in 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 that, um, and it was literally a walk on role, uh, two three lines of dialogue and off, and, you know. And, and I thought, oh my god, that's James Morrison because I, I watched it a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh my god, that's James Morrison from Space Above and Beyond and Twenty Four. Oh no, yes. oh my god, yes. <laughs> sort of thing. Um, but it's it's strange that he's not really, you know. He's kind of like um, he's kind of been a bit of a late bloomer, hasn't he? Really? Mm, some of them are. Some of them are. Yeah. Um, but the stuff he's done, you know, he's generally been really good. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of liked his character in this, so you know. Yes, yes. I mean, the the actors did as well as they could with the material they had. It just was. It was. It was just just shy of being mediocre, basically. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of what probably why I gave it a seven. <laughs> Out of ten. Um, I mean, I didn't know what to do with it really because the, the first episode I gave a really, I, I really all bought the first episode. But Look, I, the, the first episode was crap, so you were right to lowball it. But yeah, and about a girl was slightly better, so I gave that an eight. <laughs> but it'd be interesting to see what uh, what the next one's going to be because the first three episodes were the only ones that the actual critics got hold of, and they lowballed every single one of them. Mm. You know what critics the ne- like. The next one, the next one, they've got stunt casting. They've actually got Charlize Theron playing a femme fatale. Oh, that, that's typecasting, isn't it? Yeah. You know, because that you know, aside from playing um, play, playing mass murderers, um, she seems to play femme fatales quite a lot. Mm. So, well, she's good at it. So, yeah. but that's how desperate that's how desperate they are. And I'll watch it just for just because of Charlize Theron, but. 
Man, it's, it's getting hard. Yeah, um, I watch it uh, because of uh, Shaggy's fur on, but I'm not going to repeat what you said there. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so Orville out of five, I'm going to go two and a half. Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. You know, um, you know, may- maybe a two if you really want to know about it, but, you know. And so moving on to... Um, well, you want to get the, the negative out of your system and just do oh, MacGyver next? Man, MacGyver. The, you know, it's, it's like CBS have not been listening to my rants. They've, had gone, they've gone and added another character... She's Australian. She's former Special Forces Australian, sort of like military or something, CIA agent, and she's sort of like coming to the fold, and she's basically a, a, a master interrogator sort of oh, thing. God. And, you know, it's sort of like uh, the Phoenix Foundation is the front for a think tank in, in, the, uh, in, in the series. So they're kind of like saying, oh, it's a, it's a clandestine organisation, but, you know, but, but to the public, we're, we're a think tank. Um, but to, to the bad guys, we're sort of like, um, we're sort of like NSA or whatever. It's just sort of like, uh, it's, I can't watch it. I can't review this anymore. It's just shit. <laughs> I just can't really, you know, it's, you know, it's nothing to do with the, it's nothing to do with uh, Lucas Till. I think if he was given the right material and if he, if he, if he, if it was written more like, the MacGyver of old in, in that they sent him out on his own sort of thing he it, could do it he could he do, could it. do I, it I saw enough of his performance to believe that if they gave him the right scripts he could pull it off he he, he could do it it's just he's sort of like hamstrung with the uh, team around him uh, yeah. specifically George Eads mm. um, who's sort of like just playing a guffawing idiotic sort of like freaking special Forces, special needs, Bruce Wingis fucking wannabe. You know, it's just so like uh, that bugs me. If I if I was to do it, if I had my druthers, I'd keep Ryanie around because she's actually quite good and useful. Um, I'd I'd get I'd make sure Bowser got hit by an eighteen wheeler truck and completely squashed out of existence. Um, and I think I would disintegrate the, the uh, version of Jack Dalton and create a new character who was more like the original Jack Dalton. <laughs> yes, because Bruce McGill was absolutely darling in that role. And Bruce McGill was bringing in whatever he does. You know, you know, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. Um, I thought he was great in Cinderella Man, you know, and, and, didn't really, in, and he didn't really have a huge part in that. Uh-huh. Um, but he, he was great in that. Um, and he's, he's, you know, he's good in whatever he does, really, Bruce McGill, but as Jack Dalton, for me, he's always going to be Jack Dalton. I mean, we've not had Penny Parker introduced yet. Thank God. Oh, thank, thank you, God. Thank you. Because, no. I, I mean, yes, Penny Parker was a dit, but she was played in a very particular way by Terry Hatcher. And I, I don't know if the current crop of pretty girls could pull that off properly. I don't think they'd actually write a character like Penny Parker now. Because it'd be it'd be seen uh, by the feminist movement as a as a backward step, and to be quite frank, rather rather sexist. When it isn't, because you still get women out there that are complete ditzes. Yeah, they you they know? exist. They they do <laughs> they do exist. Um, just as just as himbos like bowls are exist. Yes, sort of they thing. happen both genders. You know? you know, it's like it's like a double standard now on television. 
Um, you know, plenty of himbos, not very many female ditzes at all, if any. Um, mostly, so like most females on Tangavision on television now have to be competent and in charge. Yeah, so, I, yeah. I loved Penny because I'm I'm I've, I love you know the, the the retro entertainment and there was a very there was a very latter day perils of pauline feel to her which i appreciated being a fan of some of the more pulpy early entertainment so i i just love penny because i'm like uh, she bought out um at the night she bought out sort of like uh, she bought out something in macgyver that no other character could really you know yeah. kind of like uh, don't know, almost like a big brother sort of thing. Yeah. Because he, yeah. he did kind of over time become like a big brother to her. Yes, yes. Thing. Just just in the same way as Pete Thornton became became um, like like a surrogate father. But, yes. But in, in the series, I've introduced this art now where he's looking for his dad. And I think, oh, my God. Oh. You know, so next week it's going to be revealed that his dad is Donald Trump. And it's going to be a scene where MacGyver's on a platform and Trump's on the other side of the platform, beckoning to, to MacGyver, saying, Mark, Mark, I'm your father. And he's going to go, no! <laughs> and that, that's, the, that's the extent of the writing on this show, to be honest. Um, you know, they, if, if they kind of cut it down to just Ryan-y, uh Matty and, and MacGyver, they, they could potentially have a really good show on their hands. Yes. But at the moment, it's just like uh, it's just like clone of NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS New Orleans, and um, and pretty much every other bloody team-based show they've got on there, including yeah, Rise Above. Uh, the only the only show that actually stands out as a team show and stands out in its own right on CBS at the moment is Scorpion. Mm. You know, but that's only because all the characters have have um, some form of Asperger's. <laughs> So that's what makes it quite entertaining to me, uh, for for obvious reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my MacGyver rant over and done with. I'm probably going to carry on watching it in secret just so I can have something to bitch and moan about, but I'm not going to review it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, I th- the sad thing is, I'm not I'm not picking up. Uh, the Gifted, which starts tonight, simply because I don't have time. I need some blank spots in my schedules for time-shifted shows. So I guess I'm not picking up The Gifted. Um, plus, I'm I'm not interested in the in, in yet one more premise where where mutants are running from the government, even if it happens to be well written with Amy Acker in it. I just can't take any more. Yeah. I'm getting you know too many variations of that on other shows. I, um, so. I, I think we're just getting too many variations of of the government being in charge. You know. Mm. You know, it's not. If you look at the original V, the government weren't in charge when the aliens came and invaded the. Uh, they they did, weren't they? The, no, the no. government collaborated with them. Yeah. Sort of thing, and you know, and 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 I just think that you know, we've we've had all these shows since the late eighties, early nineties, where government agencies have been sort of like the good guys, and everyone else has been sort of like the bad guys, and it. It's kind of like a it's kind of like a narrative that's getting really really old. Yeah. Uh, there's there's no more. There don't seem to be any more sort of like ordinary, ordinary bloke or ordinary woman. Uh, you know, do, goes out and sort of like helps and becomes you know and becomes sort of like a hero. Yeah. And you don't yeah. see, you don't see a, a show about social workers, you know, getting shot at and stuff like that. 
you know, and it, you know, it probably does happen because people don't like social workers. So, <laughs> yeah, I just uh, to complete my thought, what I was going to say was um, most of the shows we're watching now are so mediocre, and it, frankly, if we weren't doing this podcast, I, I would quit on almost all of them. Mm. Um, but we'd have we'd have nothing to discuss. It's it's just really really sad. Well, Star Trek Discovery isn't exactly mediocre. I just think I'm not no, no, that. it's it's quite good, but it's, but we can't we can't keep discussing like one show. Yeah, but you know, um, so you know the gift, you know things like the gifted. I think that I think the TV makers need to get 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 out of the head that the government are not no no longer the good guys. The government are as fangable as anyone else. Yes, sort yeah. of thing, and and it, you know it'd be just good to see 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 sort of like. Uh, See, see stories that center around individuals again, yeah. um, and and um, you know characters coming in and out of that individual's life, sort of thing. And maybe, or, maybe... Or, or you could have, or you could have a um, a sort of hybrid. Which there was this really awesome pilot that was leaked online in the early days of online. Um, I watched it on YouTube. It was um, it had um, Michelle Forbes as Miranda Zero. Uh-huh. And it was um, it was it was it was a government agency that recruited everyday people to be temporary um, agents, and it was based on a comic book. It was um, I'm blanking on the name of it now, but it was it was really really brilliant. And we need something more along those lines. Yeah, we need, we need something different. We need a different setup for a show. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, like in the seventies, we had things like Police Story, we had Starsky and Hutch, where it's Bay City and sort of thing, and they're remaking that now. Yeah. Oh God. Oh, it's actually it's not a remake. It's actually a continuation, from what I've heard. Um, the, the guy that did Guardians of the Galaxy is doing it, and he's doing oh, God. he's doing a continuation from the original series. So it's going to be like the next generation of. Of a uh, Starsky and Hutch, I guess, and I I think that'd be quite interesting. You know, because with it being a continuation, it's it it, it doesn't it it's not a reboot. So you know. Okay, I found it's it's global frequency. That's the title yeah. I was looking for. We need that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we need we need sort of more 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 out of the box shows. Uh, I mean, it's it's almost as if originality is just completely and utterly being demolished from television. Or, or, or if we have a remake, we need or, or a reboot. We needed a reboot of Max Headroom, which I recently discovered thanks to CW Seed. Bless them. Um, is, is there room for that? So that's a bad joke. Is there room for that headroom? Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, only if Matt Fuhrer reprised the role, but it's it was a, it was ahead of its time. It was literally thirty years ahead of its time. I'm kind of gutted that they took Warehouse 13 and Eureka off the air. Yeah, looking know. back, I'm 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 missing um, I'm I'm missing Warehouse 13 rather badly. They they could have got at least another couple of seasons out of those shows, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so like it's uh, it's interesting. So now on to uh, Inhumans. Yeah, um, Inhumans. <sighs> Again, steadfastly mediocre. Basically, I found myself watching it for the dog, for the one-ton teleporting bulldog yeah. who rocks. Who yeah, absolutely rocks. I seen that in the trailer and I thought, cool. Yes, it's a giant teleporting dog. But then I looked for it online. I looked for a, a pirate copy of it, and I couldn't find one in HD. So I thought, I'm not going to bother. 
So I didn't, be, I didn't even bother downloading it. <laughs> so I'm like, it would have been too much effort to find the HD version of it. And I just thought, I, I just can't, I can't be bothered. You know, if it comes out on DVD or if, if Amazon Prime grabs it or Netflix grabs it, I'll just watch it that way or whatever. I'm not, not really bothered. Yeah, it's, it was, the actors, the actors were trying. The actors were trying valiantly, but it just, there wasn't enough there. There wasn't enough there. And uh, Anson Mount gave the most nuanced performance of them all as Black Bolt, in a in a in a non in nonverbal role, and it was he did a really good job of it. And Yoan uh, Rion um, was not playing Ramsay Bolton from Game of Thrones, but he was he was playing a conflicted bad guy and in, in playing Black Bolt's brother Maximus. And I was reading synopses of these, because you know, I, I don't read the comics very often because I have uh, financial and visual difficulties. And uh, but, I, um, but I'm reading these synopses of the comics. I'm like, the comics are way more interesting than what we got here. And I wish that they had either, either given us the comics or integrated Inhumans into our established Inhuman storyline so that they were a subplot in what we already had. Yeah, it's kind of the second Marvel short short form show that's not particularly gone down too well. But then again, yeah. I think Legion's got a second season, so. Mm, yeah, Legion's what Legion wasn't for me. I'm I'm glad if it finds an audience, but it wasn't for me. Yeah, so. it kind of. I watched that first episode, and uh, you know, I thought, you know, not for me. It was a bit too sort of like uh, clinical in the hospital and stuff like that, and it was a bit too trippy. And I thought, you know, I can't be yeah. done with this. No, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd rather watch a good decapitation on Game of Thrones. Yeah, that's about where I am. Yeah, um, it's, there's there, there's there's less pretension to Game of Thrones. They just get on with it. Um, yeah, yeah, but um, Inhumans, Inhumans was sad because I I wanted to like it and I wanted to watch and I'm and I'm going to continue with it because it's it's only eight episodes and it's a limited series so I can put up with that. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I wouldn't continue with it if it, if it weren't ongoing. It's only because it's a limited series I'm going to bother. Yeah. Well, and, because, and because the dog is pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, from what kind of bright side, get Stranger Things series two's out soon, isn't it? Yeah, that comes out um, not this week, but I think like the beginning of... comes out like the 13th, October 13th, something like mm. that. Yeah, I think everyone's probably going to try and binge watch that over the course of a weekend when it comes out. That's um, that's what I plan to do, or at least get as much of it down as I can. Is this a? It's it's kind of I don't know. I think it's kind of stupid and releasing it so late because it's actually got to compete with all the other TV shows now. Whereas if they'd released it during the summer, yeah, um, it didn't really have much, too much to compete with this year because you know it, there wasn't really anything particularly great shakes on during the summer. Uh, no. Other than or maybe the defenders sort of thing. Mm. That 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 was kind of late summer, uh, which I skipped. Yeah. But it's so like um, I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna watch it, but I'm probably gonna struggle to fit it in because by the time it comes back, we're gonna have Arrow, we're gonna have the Flash, all those yeah. shows gonna be back on the air. Yeah. Sort of thing. So it's gonna be um, it's gonna be kind of tight. Um, yeah, I I don't know whether I'm gonna watch um. Don't, if I want to watch uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead when it comes out, or time shift that one to later. I have to 
look at my schedule and figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, given given the dearth of shows, except for the DC stuff, I may have to watch it when it airs, just so that we have something to discuss during podcasts. I don't know. Yeah, well, uh, you know, the, the thing is, um, with the DC shows, uh, Marts and Jeff are going to be covering those on on DC Action Hour anyway, which kind of is kind of like taking that niche away from us in a way. But you know, more power to them because they, you know, they 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 have different people on each week that can give a different take on it, sort of thing. Yeah, can... yeah, which I which I like. So we'll we'll be all right. It's just that it's just like the non DC shows have been so lackluster that I don't I don't know if there's enough material to. Um, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Well, one show I started watching, um, I I time shifted on it. I didn't watch it while it was airing last year. Um, but I time shifted it and binge watched it once it was all on Netflix, and that was Designated Survivor, mm. and I really enjoyed it. I'm just after 24. I'm just not in the mood. The, just, the tropes wear so thin. I'm, my my biggest systemic problem with all of this is I have a really, really low threshold just for a lot of these tropes. Well, I've got no threshold for Once Upon a Time returning. I'm not even going to bother watching it. I'm, 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 I may watch one or two episodes just for guest performances, but I'm mostly giving up on that show too. So. Yeah, what, what we're going to do, because television's getting so rubbish, we may as well just sort of like, um, I don't know, maybe we should just get into video games. There's probably better writing in them anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably would, except my with with my cerebral palsy, my, um, my um, motor, motor skills are really subpar otherwise i probably would have gotten into more gaming than i than i have yeah. so you know so like it's um it's it's weird it's a weird landscape on television right now because so like a lot of the science fiction and fantasy dramas just seem to be quite subpar it's almost yeah. like you know we've had too much of a good thing over over a period of years and it's all like just the, the wheels have started to come off yeah and even and even when the show might be good something like gifted um I just don't care. I don't want to watch that premise anymore. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm done with it. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm systemically bored. Yep. And they're not, and, and, and very few of the shows are giving me what I need not to be systemically bored. A few of them are, a few of them are. Uh, and I'm, and I'm rediscovering some of, you know, the classic shows, things like Max Headroom or you know, giving me some hope just, you know, at the retro level. But for the most part, I'm, it's becoming tedious. And it's sad because I loved TV growing up. I used to watch way more television than was, frankly, healthy for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm finding more enjoyment in um, not TV. Audio. Uh, audio, yeah. Yeah. I'm the same, um, but with video games yeah. or music. And, and not just big finished stuff that we're reviewing, but audio in general. I listen to a lot of audio in general. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm, and it's a lot more fulfilling to me. Yeah. Well, you know, it's um, it's it's quite frightening how good Big Finish are in terms of the storytelling um, on on their Doctor Who's, even their modern Doctor Who stories uh, are, are are better than the are better than the canon show. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's quite you know it's quite frightening. Um, I mean, I'm I'm a bit worried about where Doctor Who's going. Now, um, and, yeah, and, and a female doctor is actually the least of it. I mean, Jodie Whittaker is not the one I'm worried about. I'm worried about Chris Chibnall. Yeah, I mean, what, what I'm worried about, I'm worried about the fact that, yeah, we've got a female doctor, fine. 
you know. Um, but I think I think particularly enjoyed the way they set that up because um, they set it up over a course of five seasons, and you know it's quite tagging that um, all the regenerations we've seen from male to female, and yet we didn't see any regenerations from male to ma- from 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 female to male. Ah. Sort of thing. It's it's almost like. Uh, it's almost like there's, there's a, they've got some feminist social justice warriors in the writing room on Doctor Who, uh-huh. and you know, and, and, and writing to that towards that niche. But but then again, you know, there's been elements of it in the show, and then there's been elements uh, where it's sort of like not being there sort of thing. No, if um, they if they if they gender flip Romana to a man, they need to call her Fred at that point because she doesn't work as a Roman. Yeah, and, and also that was a nickname anyway in the series, wasn't it? Yes. Fred. Yeah, because their initial conversation is either I call you Romana or I call you Fred. And she says, okay, I prefer Fred. Yeah, yeah, I think they should so, do that. That'd be fun. Yeah. So so if they gender flip her, they need to call her Fred, not Roman, because Roman doesn't work. Well, you know, may, maybe they should gender flip the doctor's, uh, the doctor's real daughter, Susan. Granddaughter, yeah, that, that might be interesting. That could work. Because that's sort of like, uh, that's more of a familial relationship. Uh, and, you know, at the end of the day, that would probably be more controversial than gender flipping Romana. Uh-huh. Because, you know, who knew that she could regenerate? You know, as far as we knew, she was just an ordinary gang of and She wasn't a time lord. Yeah, yeah. You know? So yeah. Maybe somewhere along lines after her travels with her grand- grandfather, she she, she, she go- goes into the looms and becomes a time lord. Um, but I think that's something they need to explore on the, on the screen as well. Um, how, how how does a gang of Frey and an ordinary person become a time lord? What, what what's the process for that? Yeah, so it's been yeah. written about in 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 the books and the comics and stuff like that, but it's never actually been talked about on the TV series. No, no, it hasn't. And I think given that they've said, well, they can gender flip sort of thing. Well, you know, um, what what else can they do? What, what, what can they and what can they not do? So I yeah. think, you know, what what are the rules? What are the limitations to it? But I think the show's written in such a way that there are no rules and there are no limitations, and and that's just the way it's going to roll. Yeah, yeah. I just like I said, Whitaker is not the problem. It's the stories going on around her that are going to determine whether this is viable or not. Mm-hmm. So. And you know. He'll either he'll either succeed and be be as successful as as Tenant Run, yeah. You know, in terms of the modern sort of like series, mm-hmm. or it will fail miserably. And I think the only reason they've actually gender flipped recently is because the ratings have been in the target and they've been gradually getting that way since Matt Smith took over. Yeah, but it's kind of interesting because they had a variation of the same problem they had after Tom Baker. After Tom Baker, no one quite adjusted to the subsequent doctors and Tennant was the Tom Baker of modern Doctor Who mm. in that he, he was the one that people looked at and went, yay! And then subsequent doctors were fun and interesting and had their fan bases but weren't quite the same thing. You're right there. I mean, it's it's really, really funny as well that, that it was actually the second of the new batch of Doctors that actually got that fan reaction sort of thing. Uh, so, so it kind of says a lot about Tennant's, uh, Tennant's charisma as an actor and, and, and personality um, that, 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 that he was able to achieve that. Yes, although for my own purposes... Um... 12 will be, is my modern doctor. And I absolutely 
absolutely adore Capaldi in the role, and I'm just sorry that Moffat wasn't able to give her give him more consistently strong writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I'm, I'm the same with you on that. Um, you know, I'm 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 going to miss Capaldi. I am, and because here's the, here's the thing, Capaldi is is a fan, and he's also just a really sweet guy who took his job seriously. And, and when you read about his and see his interactions with fans, you know, and stuff, he really loves the fans, mm-hmm. and it comes through. Yep. And uh, and all all of the actors who play Doctor Who have been really good ambassadors, but Capaldi has been exceptionally good as an ambassador for the brand um mm-hmm. in the modern era he's he's just he's he absolutely loves them and they love him well, i'll tell you who's not really been necessarily a good ambassador for doctor who um eccleston well eccleston from what i read tends to throw drama fits in general mm-hmm. So. Yeah, he, he he tends to he he never sticks around in, in in any one role for too long. Anyway, he did the same on Cracker as he did on Doctor Who. He left after the first season. Um, uh. but you know, I, I don't think it's. Uh, I think Eccleston he just had a problem with the way way things were being run and and stuff like that. And um, but he's not not really been a good ambassador to the series at all. No, no. Since, what since I what I, what I love though is even though even though Eccleston was a um, flailing drama queen the fact that he was a flailing drama queen gave us the war doctor because everybody with a brain knows that the war doctor role was supposed to be nine mm-hmm. and it's, be- it's because eccleston flailed that uh, moffat had to write the war doctor to to tell that part of the story and we got the war doctor out of it so john john hurt got an awesome role and we got awesome time with john hurt in an awesome role so mm-hmm. thank you Christopher Eccleston for being a drama queen, at least to that extent. And uh, the the time war uh, continues this month with the big finished release of the um, of the Eighth Doctor adventures during the time war. Yes, yes, um, which I will definitely be listening to, and uh, Dominic will be reviewing. I think you said. Yeah, so. Dom- Dominic will be reviewing. I'm 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 a bit concerned though whether I should actually introduce him to the John Hurt ones, um, or just let him take it from his own perspective. I think leave him for right now and let him take it from his own perspective and, and start with eight. And, um, and then if he wants to do the, the John Hurt stuff, he can. Mm-hmm. So, because a, a lot of it's time. He's got to, you know, he got to figure out, he's got to carve out the time to listen to these things. You know, gotta, yeah. that's hard, especially mm-hmm. with the box sets. Uh, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, you, you found that with the uh, Captain Scarlet one this week and you wasn't even reviewing it. And I just yeah. seen how, how much it was in terms of, time and stuff like that but yeah i'll just i'll just be happy with my memories of the series and leave it at that yeah um, but anyway i think that wraps up for this week mm-hmm. um so it, you know we'll be back again in in a few weeks time um we've got a, a big one next week with trip hope um but that's so that's like an, an interview that it's a rolling interview that goes on for about an hour or so it's like a conversation mm-hmm. so we're just going to run that as a as a one-off um okay. and also i've been talking to sean and we're planning a halloween special again awesome so we're, we're we're doing that and and you know how naughty and drunk we all get when we do the halloween specials yeah that'd be fun that'd be fun so like uh it's it's so like you probably hear us slowly slowly deteriorating as the hour goes on, <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's that, that's uh, that's coming up in in later this month. So that's all for this week, and we'll be back at you next week. And uh, 
later on in a month, the DC action hour will be returning. So, you know, not so much forward to.